2: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
3: Good morning, and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV—the one place to be for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And boy, is there a lot of it this morning out there for us to get our teeth into. Uh, there is the Sun's incredible uh, poll, in which it has revealed that we were right all along about net zero. The fact that voters are furious over the cost of net zero. The fact that politicians should tackle prices instead. The fact that the cost of living is going through the roof. The fact that mortgages are going to go up possibly by an average of about six, seven, seven thousand pounds a year. Uh, Ministers should prioritize keeping prices down over reaching net zero. Yes, of people. Do politicians understand the financial pressures you are under? No, 85% of people. Meanwhile, what they do in Parliament is worry about Boris Johnson, whether he's got a pass for the parliamentary estate. Rishi Sunak had a chance to bury Boris Johnson yesterday, uh, but he chose to avoid it. Is that leadership? Is that really where Rishi Sunak wants to be remembered? He didn't bother turning up to Parliament to vote uh, in in a vote in which Boris Johnson basically only really got uh, single-figure support from his own party six Tory members actually voted against the committee's findings. Uh, I don't really give a monkeys about this story anymore. I wish it would go away, but surely to heaven's sake, Parliament has got more important things to talk about than Boris Johnson, what trousers he's wearing uh, and whether he's going to go in one direction or another. I'm sick to death of it. Let's talk instead as well uh, about all manner of other things to do with the cost of living, whether it's net zero inspired or not. We're going to be talking about schools this morning as well. We're going to be talking about why children are being allowed to identify as horses, dinosaurs, and the moon. I kid you not, ladies and gentlemen. Also, we will be talking about, obviously, the big front page story on most of the papers this morning, uh, this search for the Titanic submersible, uh, the incredible story of adventurers who have gone deep into the depths of the ocean to try and see the Titanic wreckage something like 3,000 metres below the surface of the North Atlantic Sea. Uh, They are now lost. Nobody knows where they are. We're going to try and find out what can be done about it, if anything. They've got less than a day's supply of oxygen, we believe now, uh, and it's not looking particularly good for them. But it's a fascinating story. The adventurer's adventurer, uh, they're all down there, We are going to try and find out what can be done, if anything, uh, to save them. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We're going to be talking about Meghan Markle, who's now been accused of faking some of the interviews she did for that Spotify podcast, which has now been cancelled. We've got Liz Truss saying that she didn't like being compared to her letters. It wasn't very pleasant and it wasn't very funny. And meanwhile, of course, Sir Keir Starmer, once again on the wrong side of history, He says he wants to stop all exploration of North Sea oil and gas. He said it yesterday on this very show. Uh, He's being proved wrong as well. We're kicking things off this very morning uh, with the first guest up, of course. It is Rafe Hadel Manku, historian, broadcaster, and senior fellow at the New Culture Forum. We're going to talk to Kate Ferguson from The Sun as well. Laura Dodsworth is here. Uh, She's also going to be telling us all about what she makes of the COVID inquiry, which is underway today uh, in the company of George Osborne, the former Chancellor. Loads to do. We want to get your views as well because this is the only place that cares about what you think and we will amplify your views and pass them on to the powers that be 0344 499 1000 is the number this is talk tv let's get it on welcome to the independent republican mike graham right here on talk tv Just stop and listen uh, is the headline on the front page, uh, sorry, on the big spread inside the sun. Exclusive poll reveals anger at the eco-elite. I'll be talking about this later on and throughout the show. But I just want to make this point that this proves once again that talk TV has been at the very forefront of public opinion. We have told the government, at all times, exactly what you guys think. Because we know what you think, because we're part of your world. What we're not is part of the Westminster bubble. And so when we say that people don't care about net zero, they don't want to pay for, you know, a new carbon neutral economy. They don't want to be charged money in order for proper recycling to be done, for ecosystems to be beautifully worked out, and for clean air to be the thing that we care about the most. Well, it doesn't matter, because it turns out that... Net zero is around about eighth priority for most people in this country. And we could have told you that, and we have been telling you that for three years. The Sun have done a great service by doing a proper poll and finding out that that is indeed the truth. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's kick things off first of all there with Rafe Halel manku A very good morning to you, Rafe. Um, we've got to kick things off really with this remarkable story from the North Atlantic, from uh, uh, this submersible, which has gone missing. Um, it's a fascinating tale. And I, and I suppose my question to you is, I wonder why these stories are so fascinating to us, why they sort of captivate people to such an extent, because most of us couldn't afford to ever spend £250,000 to go into something like this, which looks very much like a tin can, uh, to go into a very dangerous part of the world, the water, which we know hardly anything about, by the way.
4: But I think that's precisely why we are so fascinated by this you know whether it be the you know the Apollo mission going wrong in in space or whether it be at the bottom of the ocean, these are places so far removed from uh, all of our daily lives, but also so far removed from any hope of of rescue. I mean that, that's the stuff of uh, action movies and thrillers, isn't it? Mm. It's, uh, and there's also that whole concept about new technology. you know these are people who actually uh, captivate our imaginations, you know but whether it be Shackleton trying to get down to the pole or uh, Edmund Hillary trying to climb Mount Everest, or they're going to the yes. depths of the ocean in new technology. This is all about the human spirit and trying to push new boundaries. And as we know, of course, when you push new boundaries, they often do come at a cost. And that's something, of course, which all of those who did pay uh, significant sums in order to take that experience will have been fully aware of. Uh, and uh, But that's sort of part of the excitement, I suppose. The adrenaline rush is the ultimate high.
3: Oh, absolutely right. And it's not the first time somebody's tried something like this. James Cameron, I seem to remember, the, the director of the movie actually raised enough money to do a real life sort of submersible mission, um, which I can't remember, I think it was unmanned, but I think they sent a sort of a robotic submarine down there to try and see what there was left of the Titanic. But that's the other weird thing, isn't it, that people have this incredible thirst for curiosity about looking at something which was, I suppose, um, a burial place for so many hundreds of people and, and, and such a tragic story.
4: Absolutely. I mean, I always tell people, if you want to get close to the Titanic, just go off of Trafalgar Square to Pall Mall, where you have the Royal Automobile Club. And the swimming pool there was the, was the inspiration for the swimming pool on the Titanic. Yes. and was a direct copy. It's a much safer way to actually uh, get an experience of, of what life was like. Of the Titanic yes. um, but there is a thrill you know I mean tragedy also of course comes into this and there is a a great desire to sort of see these experiences where people have gone through through tragedy and it's become part of you know it's, it's part of folklore it's part of legend it's it's part of, of the of the of Western culture now to go and see these sorts of places and do these sources of sorts of trips It's not I wouldn't say necessarily it's macabre it's just something that's inspiring yeah you know, so much the same way people I suppose now go to um, Ground Zero at 9/11, mm. without necessarily the same the same sort of emotion that you would have had in the. In the, first, you know, in the first decade or two.
3: Yes. I mean, I suppose there might also be something of the, um, the sort of diversion about it as well, because at the moment, uh, people are looking up from their breakfast tables and seeing bills arriving uh, through the door, which are much rather bigger than they would rather they were, and much bigger than they were uh, only a few months back. We hear mortgage rates have surged over the past month. There's now going to be a massive increase, particularly in people having to uh, remortgage their, their sort of fixed-rate mortgages. They could be going up by as much as 6 to 7 seven to eight thousand pounds a year um i'm not one of those who thinks that people should get help for that i'm not one of those that thinks the government should be bailing people out because as much as it might be difficult for people you know these things are part of the free market aren't they
4: yeah they're absolutely part of the free market although at the same time you know we have a situation in this country which you know our housing sector in every aspect of our housing sector in this country is broken and needs fixing. In terms of tenancies, for example, you know, if you go to the continent, if you're a tenant, you can get a lease for 10, 15, 20 years with no problem at all. Here, of course, people have these one year one-year leases. Same thing with mortgage mortgages. If you go to America, very easy for someone to get a 10 or 20 year fixed rate mortgage. Mm. Here it's only, it's only two years. We're not building enough houses as well. I actually would also like to see more, more social housing being built. I think one of Thatcher's great mistakes was not to. In, I'm more in favour of people buying their council houses, but that money should have gone into uh, building more social housing. Our entire housing—you've got land banking by developers. I mean, it's it's a it's a bit of a cowboy world, and it's it's so. Uh, it's a bit un- of it's un- a bit of a
3: rigged uh, scenario, though, isn't it? Because I mean, I agree with you that they should have thought about it when Margaret Thatcher sold off those houses. But there's been an awful lot of time between Margaret Thatcher not being in charge and now, and oh, yeah. any, any it's, it's, number any number of governments could have built more housing, more social housing as well they didn't do it
4: yeah yeah no yeah, exactly no that, that that was the start of the problem but that, absolutely and it's I think it's indefensible for you know for Rishi Sunak now to have abandoned housing targets altogether. you know I mean that would at least have been one the one last plank of this alleged leveling up that was supposed to uh appeal to the red wall mm. and uh, give the uh give those old Labour voters some idea that the uh, Tories were actually in touch with their needs and understood the needs of the working classes Uh, but we've seen no no evidence of that but yeah I I think there actually needs to be a drastic overhaul of all aspects of our housing market sector and I would like to see leases and mortgages being offered for great far longer periods than currently.
3: Well I'd also like to see a rather uh, change in policy from when we learned yesterday from the Times newspaper that um From now on, there possibly will be a priority given to British people uh, to go to the top of the housing list uh, for social housing. Now, for me, I didn't realise that was going to be a news story. I didn't realise they weren't at the top of it already, but apparently they're not.
4: Oh, yes. No, no. That's been the case for a long, long time. Now, going back to the the, the time of of New Labour, you know, there was a point about 20 years ago. I remember having this discussion and being shouted down by people when I tried to suggest that the housing crisis was linked to immigration. And just to raise that 20 years ago uh, would have led to accusations of being a racist and a, and a scaremonger and all the rest of it. But of course, it's just simple mathematics. The more people come in, the more houses you need yeah. to build. And the fact is, if you, are a, if you are a single British person or you are a family of two or three, you would not take priority over a group of, say, five or six people who would come from Somalia. And that was an absolute outrage. You Which know, well, is bonkers, isn't it? You've paid your taxes or your family have, and yet you take second tier status. And, of course, you, you remember all those horrendous stories we saw about people coming over here and getting lovely semi-detached houses in Ealing, West mm. London and so forth.
3: Yeah, because they had a family of seven and the council said, well, we couldn't possibly put them in a place that was a bit too small for them. Oh, really? Well, that's nice. You know, I started to realise that things were going wrong uh, in this country when people who were trying to buy houses or rent houses in particular parts of London, especially, weren't able to afford to do it. But the council were quite happy uh, to put people in houses that they had somehow commandeered and were paying rents through the nose for uh, to private landlords.
4: Yeah, I mean, we absolutely need to understand if we don't reduce immigration which of course now is at an all-time high as i've said countless times on this on the show mike we've had more immigration in in two decades than in the past mm. two thousand years combined how on earth can you expect this country to actually solve its housing crisis uh when you have such vast numbers of people coming into this country mm. there's a desperate need for the for the people of britain to actually be given a foot on a foot on the property market ladder and also of course I, when we live in london All of the properties being, I'm here at Battersea Power Station, everything built in London now is built for young professionals. These are one, two bedroom apartment buildings. Uh, There's no quality family housing. And so you have this complete removal of traditional British people from, from, from modern cities now exported out to the suburbs.
3: Exactly right. Stay with us, Rafe, if you would. We've got plenty more to talk to you about. I'll end this section with this from Helen in Devon. Ray, the cost of living, my car insurance premium has gone up 76%. I've got 13 years, no claims and no points on my license. I'm spitting blood. They are profiteering. But the broker says the next best quote he got was a 300% increase. Well, this is the problem. I want to hear from you today on this because I think consumers are getting absolutely and utterly rinsed by companies. They're getting rinsed by water companies. They're getting rinsed by the government. They're getting rinsed by car insurance premiums. They're getting rinsed by the banks on mortgages. Just getting rinsed, period. And we're supposed to keep paying. Well, I'm not paying any more. Certainly not for net zero, and neither are you. This is Talk TV
2: online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio, and Talk TV.
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Rafe Hadel, manku is here, historian, broadcaster, and senior fellow at the New Culture Forum. Talking of the uh, sort of derision uh, and the constant decline of Western civilization. The story to Telegraph today, uh, talking about how schools are letting children identify as horses, dinosaurs and even the moon. Uh, this comes hot on the heels of the cat story from yesterday, where a ridiculous conversation took place between a teacher uh, and some students about whether they were right or the teacher was right, that uh, it was despicable not to accept that somebody could, in fact, identify as a cat in a classroom.
4: laugh at the story, and you do ha- You have to chuckle, but at the same time, it's not funny because this is affecting the lives of our children, of, of future generations... Mm. And it just goes to show, you know, when, when the children, when young children are actually showing more common sense than teachers, you know that we're in a screwed up society. Um, I've said for a, for a long, long time, you know, the two greatest threats to Western culture, Western civilization, one are mass mass migration, but the other one are the teacher training colleges. You know, when we were at school, there was a good balance between right and left in, in the uh, in the school system. Uh, but now fewer than 10% of teachers vote for right or centre-right parties. Yeah. Um, and it's these woke madrassas, the teacher training colleges, that are producing generation of teachers now who seem to have lost all touch with reality because yeah. they're, they're so captured by critical race theory, by gender ideology, and by all of this nonsense. Because, of course, what we have here are children who are simply... Um seeing what they see on youtube they, they like cosplay they 're just having a laugh, mm. and teachers now don 't even ha- aren 't equipped to actually handle this, and they don 't know in what way you can respond and it takes other children to actually point out that the emperor has new clothes and you, said, you know, and of course if you if you 're a child and you when I was at school i didn 't know anything about mathematics if i didn 't know the answer to a question, I would try to avoid. Making eye contact with the T-shirt. <laughs> if I don't know what I needed to do, was meow the answer or bark? Yeah. It.
3: <laughs> well, Why exactly. Would you do that. Well, this is the thing. I mean, people who say that all children should have the right to identify as whatever they want. Well, excuse me, that's not the kind of school that I want my children to go to. The school is supposed to have rules. The school is supposed to be guided by a set of, um, you know, behaviours which are expected from the children and the teachers. Um, And you can't just have some kind of free for all where people turn up, you know, dressed as a windmill and go, well, here I have decided not to do English anymore. Is that all right with you? Well, no, it's not actually. Yeah, we've gone from
4: preferred pronouns to preferred species. Yeah.
3: This is, it's quite
4: remarkable. And also, the schools have uniforms. If you turn up to school and you've got uh, your tie, you're not wearing your tie or you're wearing something inappropriate, you'll be told mm. off unless you, you decide that it's part of your identity. Yeah. If you can, now, so now you can wear a cape and say that you are a moon, yeah. and you're not uh, you're not uh, obliged to follow the same rules as everyone else. But of course, what happens with all I mean, this is all ridiculous and stupid, but it's affecting the education of everyone in the class, because if you constantly have someone distracted by wanting to use the litter tray or something in the corner of the classroom, that's going to detract from the actual overall education if children are meowing answers and barking answers right. out. And, you know, we're at a time now where our education system is already declining comparatively with, with other G20 nations. You've got sensible countries with sensible education systems like Poland and China and elsewhere who, are, who have got huge numbers of students going into stem cell uh, subjects, And we're wasting our time discussing these sorts of, of issues. I, yeah. I think it's quite, quite lunatic.
3: It really is. We had a caller yesterday, in fact, who said that his son had questioned a particular narrative that was being positioned uh, in the school about a number of different genders. And he said, I don't agree with that. Uh, my parents don't agree with it either. Um, and he was basically told that he'd have to have a detention. On the basis that he didn't believe something that he was being told was true, uh, even though there was no demonstrable way of proving it was true. It was just an opinion. So, I mean, we're really in a dangerous place here. And I think surely I know that uh, Rishi Sunak talks a good game. He's talked about making sure that uh, it's only um, parents who will be told whether their children are actually seeking to change their gender while at school. But surely they have to get a better grip on the actual curriculum.
4: Oh yeah, I mean look, there's nothing more important, as I said before, than the education of our children. And we, And there's no surprise that we now have the most left-leaning generation in history uh, in terms of those people who are un- under 20. We've never experienced that before. And what we're also seeing is that people aren't now becoming more right-wing as they grow older because they're not getting onto the property market or anything else. And it's because of the education that they're receiving. Mm. So of course, support for abolishing the monarchy is highest amongst the young of today. I mean, uh, on every Indies you look at, We've got a generation coming up who have no connection to the history and the heritage and the common sense of, of, of previous generations. And that's going to be a huge, that should be a huge wake up call to the Tory party who should will be facing annihilation because their voters are, are elderly and uh, are you know, going off the edge of a cliff. And this new insurgents are all voting Green, SNP, yeah. and, and, and Labour. So it's in the Tories' best interest to get a hold of the curriculum, and yet we're seeing nothing done about it, and let alone the teaching of history, which of course is not compulsory beyond the first couple of years of no. secondary school.
3: No, in fact, they quite often encourage children to, to, to just give history up and take on some other subject but you know maybe they'll learn from the sun poll this morning that actually not everything you hear uh, in this sort of um, the hallowed halls of the liberal left is actually what the people of this country want you know people don't want net zero we've been told for years uh, oh but all the polls show that people really want us to look after the planet well they do until you ask them for money in order to do so and then everybody quite rightly goes actually uh, i'd rather not give you any more tax thanks very much
4: Yes, so we now know 62% of the great British public believe that it's far more important, quite obviously, to get control of our economic situation at the moment and get these prices down than it is to mindlessly just throw bucket load after bucket load of money on pursuing this arbitrary date of 2050, you know. Look, we have to admit, most people in this country do believe, actually, in some form of net zero. But this random choice that Theresa May just fell upon in 2019, saying, oh, well, 2050 will be the target date, knowing full well she wouldn't be Prime Minister a decade or two down the line when all of the consequences of that rash decision but would come home to roost. Look, we've got the economy stagnating. Wages haven't increased for 20 years. That's the longest period since the Napoleonic Wars 200 years ago. We've got a cost of living crisis with you know, inflation at rates not since, since the 1970s. Our quality of life is deteriorating. And this is the time they want us to take out loans to get new boilers for 10,000 pounds, to get new green cars for 50,000 pounds, to penalize us every time we go into, into Ulez. You know, I've just spoken about Poland and China. Poland is going to surpass the UK's GDP by 2030 that's just in 7 years according to predictions China's going ahead with this economic development without paying heed to net zero all of our competitors are going to be advancing over us mm. because we're foolishly tying ourselves to this to this uh, impossible dream
3: Yeah, and it is an impossible dream, and it's a dream that nobody wants, more like a nightmare. Rafe, very good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Rafe Haydel manku historian, broadcaster, senior fellow at the New Culture Forum. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk some more about Net Zero and why the Sun poll is actually proving what we said and what we've been saying for several years here at Talk TV uh, to be correct. The people simply do not want it, and clueless MPs have no idea of the pain that policies like net zero are actually causing to ordinary British families. And also ask Kate about uh, whether the Tory party now. Rishi Sunak uh, didn't even have the cojones to turn up in Parliament yesterday when he could have killed off Boris Johnson once and for all. Uh, instead, Boris Johnson's now in the front of the Times saying he wants a bit of a truce. He wants to wait a while before he comes back now because he literally had no support uh, in that vote yesterday. This is Talk TV.
2: Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, talk radio and talk TV.
3: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots of you getting in touch to tell us about your car insurance premiums going up. Uh, Paul in Upfield says, mine's gone up 45%. I have full no claims as well. Um, Mike says this, sorry, Brian says this, why worry about a pupil being a cat? We have 650 in Westminster identifying as donkeys. Um, And Gary in Sheffield says, hi Mike, I strongly believe uh, that parents should start arming their kids with cheap covert recording devices and let us find out the full extent of what is going on in school. Well, you know what's going to end up happening, right? We're going to end up uh, with kids going to school wearing body cams, teachers wearing body cams, everybody recording one another at the same time. It's not exactly a great uh, scenario for learning, is it? I think we have to start getting sensible. Uh, we have to start doing sensible things and we have to start telling teachers to stop talking absolute and utter cobblers. And then that will be a start. And if you going to go on strike, that's fine. Don't bother coming back. You've got summer holidays coming soon. You'll be off for another 12 weeks or something ridiculous. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Kate Ferguson, deputy political editor at The Sun. Uh, Lots to talk about, Kate. Very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Um, First question before we get to the net zero stuff. Rishi Sunak yesterday had an opportunity, many believe, to kind of bury Boris Johnson once and for all, to kind of just absolutely consign him to the dustbin of history. But he chose not to do so. Um, Why do you think that was?
5: Well, I think this was like a tricky night for the Tory party, wasn't it? And Rishi probably didn't want his hands anywhere near it. Obviously, that Privileges Committee report, which effectively banished Boris Johnson from Parliament, passed with his political enemies uniting around it. But what was probably one of the more interesting things was how many Tory MPs did stay away, most of the Cabinet Mm. staying away. Rishi Sunak, we're not 100% sure exactly why he felt he couldn't vote, but clearly he doesn't want to be seen to have... I guess in a way like Boris's blood on his hands, he doesn't Mm. want to seem to be trooping through those division lobbies uniting with people like Harriet Harman to really try and finish off Boris's political career.
3: No, quite. And this morning in The Times, there's talk of a sort of truce that Boris doesn't really want to antagonise anybody anymore. He wants to have a period of reflection, uh, which happily coincides with the fact that not very many people backed him, as you said yesterday. Um, And presumably now he's thinking, if I lie low for a while um, after the next election, whatever happens, it might be the time to come back
5: yeah i mean with boris everyone's already talking about will he have this kind of sensational political comeback well the point is that that's not at all on the table now is it he's only just caught so he's got this new column with the daily mail he's out there earning money doing his books and i think we will see him lying low this kind of truth it started to emerge quite quickly last weekend actually after his resignation and blistering attack on rishi and the privileges committee he sort of within days had sort of calmed down, told his supporters in Parliament, look, don't force a division on the privileges Committee report, don't bother voting for me. You can see he's sort of going to ground a little bit, biding his time, writing about other things. What happens after the next election, of course, is a whole new political ballgame.
3: Meanwhile, for Rishi Sunak, he's got the headache of four by-elections coming up, um, some of them next month. So um, it can't be a brilliant time to be Prime Minister.
5: Oh, awful. I mean, each time Rishi tries to get on the front foot, reset, get on with it, show he's broken from the past, he's kind of hit by a new storm that Mm. batters him. These four by-elections are all potential landmines. You know, everyone thinks that Labour's going to get Uxbridge, but it could be, could be that the Tories lose all four and no Prime Minister That that would harm any prime minister. It's sort of factored in that it's going to be bad, but that really will damage Rishi just in the run up to summer. And what happens over summer in Parliament, MPs get bored, they start plotting, they start getting restless. So it's a tricky few months for Rishi, certainly.
3: No. And do you think there's any likelihood that if Labour were to win or if Tories were to lose all four to whoever, um, that there would be more pressure for the election generally to be held earlier?
5: Well, I mean, Labour will call for an election to be held earlier. But in my opinion, it's probably more likely if that happens that they'll go even longer. I imagine they'll call the election late. So October, November next year, as late as they can. They need to try and turn the economy around, try and see inflation come down. The last thing you want to do is trigger an election if you're the Tory party when you've just won four, lost four, (laughs) five elections. That would be bad strategy from Tory HQ.
3: Even even for them, it would be. Let's talk about this great poll in the sun this morning. This poll revealing the anger of the people, uh, the eco elites, voters furious over net zero cost, politicians uh, being urged to tackle pricings instead. I'm getting a lot of people this morning telling us how much their motor insurance, their car insurance has gone up. We know that mortgages are going up as well. Um, we've got 62 percent of people in this poll saying ministers should prioritise keeping prices down over reaching net zero. Uh, similarly, should gas boilers be banned? Majority say no. Should petrol cars be banned from 2030? Majority say no. You know, I think this is something we've been saying to the government for years and years and years at Talk TV. Um, Your poll pretty much bears it out.
5: Yeah, I mean, this is a poll which really gives a glimpse into what Sun readers think look look around what's going on mortgages are rocketing inflation's rocketing people are finding it harder and harder to make ends meet and clearly then they just do not want the government to be slapping kind of green levies bans on things that could push up their costs even more i think all these things banning cars by petrol cars by a certain date slapping levies on this that and the other those are kind of Things that are always really controversial for the government to do, because effectively they tend to hit consumers and they hit them in the pocket. And what consumers do they hit? They tend to hit consumers that are just struggling to get by. Not the really posh ones that can kind of go off and buy a Tesla electric car and, you know, have a nice charging point in their off, off street driving. They're the ones that, that don't notice. It's everyone else. So this poll is really warning ministers as they go into the next election, will look be careful what green policies you want to adopt, because if that means pushing costs up, you could find that the, Public really punish you at the ballot box.
3: Absolutely right. And interestingly, this comes a day after Keir Starmer's speech up in Scotland about doing away with exploration for oil and gas. A lot of people say that's wrong. Uh, should new North Sea gas and oil drilling be banned? No, 39%. Yes, 39%. It's quite close, but clearly it's not an overwhelming, you know, majority policy that people want to see. And also, people say uh, that just stop oil uh, should be treated more harshly. And of course, there is a connection between the Labour Party and the Just Stop Oil um, uh, donations that come from Dale Vince.
5: Yeah, exactly. So Labour Party, partly donate, uh, partly bankrolled by Dale Vince, so are Just Stop Oil. Look, Just Stop Oil are, I think, their own worst enemies. They infuriate the public. You just have to get stuck behind one of their slow march mm. protests. I was reading today, and I thought it was interesting that those school pupils were actually challenging those protesters yeah. who would staged a slow march outside their school, clogging up the roads, making it difficult for pupils to come in. Look, you know, infuriating people, stopping ambulances from being able to replu- um, respond to nine 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 calls, clogging up London's and other ma- major capitals' kind of streets. That is no way to further their argument. It's absolutely balmy, and it just polarizes opinion and encourages most people, I think, to think, God, this eco stuff, you know, it's nothing to do with me. It's just a bunch of activists banging on about something that's just going to push my costs Mm. up. It just makes people pissed off with the whole
3: thing. Yeah, well, it's just ordinary people, isn't it, who want to go about their lives, who want to just go to work, make some money, pay their bills, you know, do the right thing. I mean, I was quite staggered to listen to Mel Stride this morning talking on another station about how much money is still being paid out to people by this government, which is meant to be a Tory government. Um, He was saying that amongst many of the grants that are going out, um, there's something like um, uh, 8 million people getting £900 each because of their vulnerabilities and all the rest of it. But it's a massive amount of money that's being paid and subsidised by government to people because of the costs of net zero to a large extent.
5: Yeah, well, I think the the thing is with this government is what their priority has to be. And the thing that's really tricky and that they're grappling with is how do you start kicking our economy back into shape? We have got a lot of strikes that are really clogging things Mm. up and slowing things down. Inflation's running away. We're our, our, our economy. Look, yeah, it's not in recession. But it's very, very sluggish growth, almost stagnant, very sluggish. And really the main thing that I think both political parties have to convince us of, tell voters about, is how can they kind of kick Britain back into shape and get us growing again? Because that's the root of a lot of our problems at the moment.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. And we've got NHS delays this morning, uh, we're told, causing 100,000 cancer patients uh, getting uh, worse and worse health-wise because of the way that the NHS just simply cannot cope with all of the problems that they've had since COVID, really. So, so the, the problems for the government just keep mounting up.
5: Yeah, huge. And they're not, I mean, it sounds like an obvious and trite thing to say, they're not, they're not little problems and they're not easy problems. Inflation running at the highest rate it's been in a long time, that's not easy for any government to control. Migration being a big issue against those boats still coming. Well, obviously, Bush is doing a lot of legislation around that, but, but that is a kind of very visible, big problem for him. And the NHS waiting lists are just huge. Mm. Obviously, it's been battered by Covid. So there's a lot of backlog there to get through the system. But clearly, there's like fundamental change that probably needs to be looked at in our NHS to make it work better as as a holistic service. And that's really struggling and on its knees. These are big, big problems, any one of which could lose you an election Mm. if the the public thinks that you're not getting on top of it.
3: And they've got about 10 like that. So uh, it's not looking great. Kate, thanks very much indeed. Kate Ferguson from The Sun, Deputy Political Editor there, uh, on the great poll that's been done this morning in the paper, uh, which shows, as I said, that we have been right all along here at Talk TV, saying that the people of this country... Do not want net zero. You don't want to pay for it. You don't want to be, uh, have it forced on you. You don't want to get rid of your gas boiler. You don't want to pay ULES charges. You don't think Just Stop Oil should be allowed to parade around willy nilly whenever they feel like it. And quite frankly, you don't want to pay any extra money for exploration into whether or not hydrogen is going to be a good source of energy in the future. 0344 And breaking news police apparently have raided the headquarters of the Paris. 2024 Olympic Organising Committee, with the reason for the search unknown at the moment, but apparently they're cooperating fully. Uh, raided by police a year ahead of the much-anticipated Games, French authorities searched the office in a probe into suspected corruption. Corruption at the Olympics? Well, I never. I'm shocked, I tell you. Shocked. This is Talk TV.
1: Talk, plain talk, unrivalled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate, the
2: independent republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
3: right here on talk tv there's also a lot going on today and we've got plenty of time to do it and we're here of course until uh, one o'clock we're still covering you uh, with all of the big stories that you need to know about to wit uh, the sun poll today which shows that net zero is definitely not something that the great populace of this country actually wants it does not want the government to start charging people uh, for having gas boilers taken out of their homes and replaced by heat pumps What it does not want is for drivers to be charged for ULES charges because they're driving around a car which does not comply with the clean air scenario. What they also don't want is an end to diesel and petrol cars. What they also don't want uh, is to be lectured by uh, these politicians on why we need to save the planet. Quite simply, uh, people want to be able to afford the standard of living they used to be able to afford and they don't wish to pay through the nose for this ridiculous dream of net zero. Uh, We've been proved right all along, I'm afraid. Clueless MPs, says the Sun, have no idea of the pain policies like net zero inflicts on ordinary british families and if one parliamentarian if one national um, organization actually politically decided that net zero was a mistake It's not going to be the Labour Party. It's not going to be the Tory Party. There's only one party at the moment uh, that says net zero uh, is, in fact, a complete and utter joke. And that is the Reform Party. So many of you have already said to me that that's the route you're going to go down. We'll bring you more on that. We'll keep you updated as well on what's going on uh, in the Atlantic as the search continues uh, for the missing submarine which is uh, run by a guy called Hamish Harding, a British-UK uh, billionaire uh, who's with five other people trapped, it would seem, below the surface of the water. Could be as deep as 12,000 feet. We shall see. Also, another story that's caught my eye this morning uh, sent in to me. Foreign nationals locked up by the Home Office win £42.2 million in compensation for illegal detention, with many successfully claiming the government was actually too slow To deport them. Now, this, once again, uh, is the area where the human rights lawyers love to get their teeth into because all of these cases were brought on a no-win, no-fee basis. Ambulance chasing left-wing human rights lawyers, getting rich... Off you, the taxpayer, because it's your money that's being paid out to these people, right? Twenty-one twenty-two, twelve point seven million was awarded in five hundred and seventy-two cases. This goes back several years, okay? I mean incredible. In twenty seventeen, Somali career criminal Abdul Rahman Mohammed, then aged thirty-nine, was awarded almost eighty thousand pounds after the Home Office admitted his illegal detention. Brilliant. We'll talk to Alt Mehmet from Migration Watch about this later on this week because it is an extraordinary story. Uh, Also breaking news today about the Paris headquarters of the 2024 Olympics. They've been raided by the police uh, looking for possible corruption. Extraordinary. Who could have guessed? Right now, though, let's talk to Andrew Montford, Deputy Director of Net Zero Watch, because the news coming from the Sun poll this morning is quite stark and not at all surprising to those of you who've been listening to what I've been saying here uh, on Talk TV for many a year. Should new North Sea gas and oil drilling be banned? No. Uh, Ministers should prioritise keeping prices down over reaching net zero. Agree. Yes, 62%. Do politicians understand the financial pressures you are under? No, that's 85%. Should petrol cars be banned from 2030? No. Um, Should gas boilers be banned by 2025? No. Should hydrogen production be funded by hiking energy bills? No. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, Andrew, very good morning to you. Um, This must be music to your ears.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it just shows, doesn't it, that the the public are, as as usual, way ahead of the political classes. The political classes are still working under this delusion that they can decarbonize the economy you know i I think we've said before the whole idea is is entirely irrational Um, and i think the public is starting to see through it um which is very welcome the problem is of course that um as you as you alluded to before all the political parties are agreed, or all the main political parties, are agreed that this is what we've got to do. Mm. It's almost, You could almost see it as a conspiracy against the British public. You know, they're, know. they're not going to be offered a choice on this issue.
3: Yeah, I mean, all these ridiculous COP26, COP27 meetings that they have every single year to work out how they can screw the public even more and how much uh, gas uh, and electricity they can get rid of in order to replace it uh, with, a, with a much more expensive form of less efficient energy provider. It seems extraordinary to me, um, that they're marching down this road. Because again, whenever I and you and I've talked many times, Andrew, about this, whenever you ask anyone to define what net zero is, apart from a very glib sort of, oh, well, it means that you, you know, take account of the carbon that you're using, and you try to reduce that and get it down to zero. There is no real actual answer to net zero and what it is. They have no plan, do they? I mean, if if
0: you look at um, um, uh, Keir Starmer's uh, statements um, during the week that he's going to just you know do some more onshore wind and it's all going to give us energy security and cheap bills I mean it just demonstrates how facile how 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 you know stupid th- these ideas are they don't have a plan for delivering it yeah. they're just sort of trying to signal. Um, that they are, you know, they are part of the religion. That's it, really. Yeah. I mean, they have no idea how they're going to get there. They have no idea what they're going to do when the wind isn't blowing. Um, and so they just wave their hands and say, yes, we'll do it. We'll make a target for 2030 and, and all will be well. And, you know, we need desperately to have politicians who with serious policies. And it has to be said, you know, the Conservatives don't have serious policies uh, labor don't have serious policies the liberal democrats don't have serious policies and of course the greens definitely don't have serious policies um and you know as, as we're heading in you know we head into winter in the next few months and prices shoot up again mm. you know it's going to get very serious i mean i think a lot of businesses scraped through last winter um, um by the skin of their teeth um, next winter is, is is quite scary because the government can't throw money at people
3: the way they did last year I mean, they keep finding sort of barrel loads of money to give to people. I'm not quite sure how they're finding it. I'm not sure where they're getting it from. But it can't lead to a good place because all we do know as well is you talk about how they don't know how to get there. They're not even sure where there is. I don't think anybody even knows what net zero actually looks like. No, I
0: guess... (laughs) It is, it is certainly quite vague. I mean, you know, they say we're going to decarbonize the electricity system and they don't know how to do that. And we're going to we're going to insulate all the houses. And they don't, you know, they they, they, they draw a veil over the costs because they don't You know, they don't know how they're going to get the money to do that either. Um, and on and on it goes. And, you know, are we going to stop flying? I mean, you know, this 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 sort of seems to be um, a possibility that, that has to be um, considered Um, you know people you know maybe just the rich will will have will be able to fly away for summer holidays we just we just don't know um, what 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 is going to happen I mean they are just the politicians are just trying to stay in power they're just trying to um, 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 you know um, pretend that they know what they're doing send out the right signals and and hope they you know that will be enough to win them votes and on this issue as i said you know there's no choice um you know unless everybody suddenly shifts to the reform party um um which you know looks from the polls relatively unlikely yeah. um um we're stuck with it um yeah. but i think after next winter i think i think the situation may change because there will be so much pain this coming winter mm. that um, I, th- I think it will be politically unsustainable in 2024 to say we're just going to carry on doing this. Right.
3: And also Rishi Sunak, whether he likes it or not, is going to have to find some way of reducing taxes going into an election. Otherwise, he's got literally no chance at all, you know, net zero chance of being reelected. So if he comes up with a plan uh, which allows some tax to be given back, inevitably, it'll probably have to be linked to some kind of, um, you know, net zero policy. That they're going to reverse you know whether it's fuel duty that they reduce whether it's you know um vat they take off electricity and uh and power bills and all that kind of thing or the green subsidy i think it's going to be in that area that he's going to have to find the money isn't it
0: yeah i mean there is an open goal for a political party which says okay you know, net zero is a mistake we don't have the technology to do it you know let's go back to you know what we were doing before we were decarbonizing through um um using gas rather than coal and we can look at nuclear you know these are these are sort of rational um approaches um and i think there is a there there is a risk of course that going into the um, next election that um you know somebody like rishi sunak you know, does if you like pretends to retreat on net zero to take advantage of, of of that of of public opinion on the issue right and then you know after an election you know just carries on um, um regardless you know down the same insane path that we've been on for the last 20 years mm. um it's it's all you know the, the chickens are coming home to roost here you know they, they 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 they've been able to do it for two decades and but the pain now is getting so much that um you know that approach isn't going to. well we is, can't
3: afford it it's as simple as that i mean it's no, that simple isn't it we as a country and we as individuals can't afford it
0: no i mean yeah we are talking costs in trillions i mean trillions i mean it's a huge number people mm. don't really realize what a trillion is but you know if you're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds per household mm. per household that's what they're talking about spending yeah well that you know that's what the true cost will be i mean they pretend it's much less it was quite interesting this week the um, the, the, the prominent energy economist dieter helm said that yeah you know, the idea that we can do net zero on the cheap is just it's it's nonsense he said well, it's ridiculous, but that is what the official government policy is. Yes. That, that we're, we're well, it and seen, it's going
3: uh, to do. Have you seen the latest sort of joke scenario, which is that big multinational companies are now coming to Britain and the government saying, "Oh, can we have some subsidies, please, to decarbonise our uh, factories?" Tata Steel is the latest one. Um, they're basically saying they would not. They want billions of pounds from governments to transition to greener operations. Uh, UK ministers have already apparently reportedly offered three hundred million. Uh, to them to decarbonise their plant uh, in Swansea. And basically, they're looking for some more money to help them decarbonise Jaguar Land Rover. You know, it's a racket, isn't it?
0: Everybody, but everybody, is going to need subsidies. In a net zero economy. Yeah,
3: where can I get a subsidy, please? I'd like one.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If, if you're big business, you will just go to the government <laughs> and you will say, give me subsidy. Otherwise, I'm going to close down or I'm not going to yeah. come here in the first place or whatever. And yeah, that's just that is part of net zero. I mean, one of the things we've talked about at Net Zero Watch is, is to say, if we replaced all our gas fired power stations with new ones, mm. it would, would reduce emissions by 25% and, and it would reduce. Market prices for electricity by 25%, but nobody's going to do that without a load of subsidies. You know, nobody's going to build a gas-fired power station in the UK now. I mean, it, it's it's just madness. You no. don't get to run very often. I mean, what a waste of money. Yeah. So you know, nothing will happen in the future without subsidies.
3: It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Unaffordable nonsense. Claptrap, you might say. Andrew Montford, great to talk to you, deputy director of Net Zero Watch. Thank you very much indeed. Coming next, Laura Dodsworth is here. We've got to talk COVID, the COVID inquiry, of course. Plus more from that madness of the school classroom. This is Talk TV.
2: Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's 20 past 11. Um, it's a bit murky out there. It was raining this morning, although I have to say uh, I was quite pleased. No doubt there will still be a hosepipe ban into Kent and Sussex, though. Uh, mm-hmm. So stand by your beds and don't have any showers and don't water anything, for heaven's sake. Laura Dodsworth is here. Uh, very warm welcome to you. Nice to see you. We well, missed you last week. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but there were events that overtook matters, and so we couldn't see you. But um, I don't
6: like the way news gets in the way of a half hour. I know it's a news show, Mike. Yes, I know. And
3: occasionally it does get interrupted <laughs> by news. Like, we've got some breaking news here, for right. example. Andrew Tate has been charged with...
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com
1: switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: The rape, human trafficking, and forming organized crime groups to sexually exploit women. Um, this is a breaking story. I'm assuming this is in Romania that he's been charged uh, more information coming through. Romanian prosecutors have sent controversial influencer and his brother Tristan, plus two other suspects, to trial on these charges of human trafficking rape and forming um, a criminal organisation to sexually exploit women. So they have been held for a very long time without being charged under house arrest and under various other forms of uh, of conditions. So we'll bring you up to date with all of that as it happens. Uh, they have, of course, denied all the charges, um, um, and, that's, and that's where we are. So, I mean, the one thing about Andrew Tate is that he continues to um, make the news. He continues to kind of be a subject of, of much conversation. And this will, this will make it even more so.
6: Yeah, I mean, these are charges. Let's wait to see what comes out and if he's convicted. Now, there's something that I read in um, an investigative piece about him. I can't guarantee it's true, but mm. this is what I read, that there's a house with women living in it who work on his webcam channel. Yeah. And they were all, they all had a tattoo of his name. Now, when I heard that, I thought, well, that's very interesting because that does imply a level, if it's true, of some kind of psychological manipulation or coercion, which would go along with sort of the boyfriend, lover boy method he's been accused of Mm. for luring women into webcam work. Yes. So let's see.
3: Well, or they might just like him.
6: It's an odd situation, though, to have a group of women all wearing. All with his tattoo in a house working in webcam. Mm. That that for me was one of the clearest signs that there was coercion of some sort going on. It's subtle, but it works, you see.
3: It does. Interesting times. Well, we'll come back to that, I'm sure, as and when we get some more breaking news on it. Meanwhile, there's lots of other things to talk about. We missed you last week on the COVID inquiry, which is underway currently Mm. today with George Osborne, I think, uh, giving evidence. Yesterday was David Cameron. Um, It doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. I know that I'm an impatient kind of individual and it's only been going for a week. But I haven't really learned anything. Have you?
6: No. And you know what? I've really tried to be optimistic or at least to to withhold judgment because we shouldn't prejudge the outcome of the inquiry. But, you know, it's going to take years. One thing I thought was really disappointing is they're not going to look at the impact of school closures until 2025. Are you kidding me? I mean, the impact on children's education is one of the most devastating results of the lockdown. The other thing is the inquiry has a COVID policy. And um, this COVID policy invites regular visitors to have weekly lateral flow tests. Anyone that's coming for a day to take a lateral flow test before they go. Mm. It encourages or invites people to wear face masks and the rooms are going to be sanitised and they're using a disinfectant defogger. I mean, this is really overboard COVID safety pantomime. They love it. And the thing is, though, I looked at some of the other inquiries that are going on. The um, post office horizon inquiry doesn't have a COVID policy. I don't think the other inquiries are asking for these things, just the COVID one, which does give you the feeling that it's all about safety pants. And of course it is, because there's a Cochrane review now that shows that masks don't really Mm. work very well. And also, if the people going are fully vaccinated, why are they worried still about lateral flow tests? Mm. The whole thing feels... Rigged. Well, I always assume there's whitewash. people
3: there's people walking around with Covid all the time now, right? Which doesn't mm. appear to be a, a concern for anyone. So, why is it a concern for them?
6: And the questions from Lady Harrett to Boris Johnson, those first 150 questions, weren't very encouraging. There's a question asking why um, the UK, you know, did the UK compare with Taiwan, Singapore, and New Zealand? Well why isn't it asking if we compared mm. with Sweden that yeah. has one of the lowest rates of excess mortality in the world and didn't lock down? Yeah. It feels like it's it's got a baked in bias. Mm. So I I have to say that I don't although I don't want to prejudge the outcome I think we shouldn't expect the inquiry to be any sort of white knight. I think it's likely it's going to end up after huge cost to us, the taxpayer, and after many years to come up with the utterly, woefully incorrect conclusion that we should have locked down Harder and earlier.
3: Yes, and everybody did what the best they could and they were all trying their hardest and there was absolutely no reason to criticise Mm. anyone, apart from Boris Johnson, obviously, who's the criminal uh, element in everything now.
6: And Brexit and austerity and racism. It's amazing how many many daggers have been thrown at targets you you wouldn't have expected but should have done.
3: Yeah. I'd like to see some of these barristers offering to work for nothing and then see how keen they are to appear at these inquiries. Darling, do you know any
6: barristers?
3: (laughs) I do, actually. I do know quite a few barristers. They don't work
6: for nothing.
3: Yeah, but they could in some cases, and many of them do do pro bono work. But if you're that keen on doing something which is supposedly good for the nation, why would you want to charge money for it? Hmm?
6: Well, everybody has to earn an honest cost. Oh, yeah. They're
3: like these guys that are always going on strike. Don't get enough money
6: but on another Covid theme, can I just segue into something else so we've seen the videos of the, in the latest episode of the Partygate scandal oh, the, yeah. the jingle and minglers yeah and I feel that here's people Morgan's are, son
3: put it best he said surely it's punishment enough to have had to have attended that what an awful looking gathering, because it really is. It's possibly the worst I, party I, I I've ever know, seen. I don't know, Mike.
6: December twenty twenty, when socialising in, was indoors was banned, you may well have been grateful for that little shindig. The thing is, you know, it, it is true that the rules were constantly shifting, so there was a little bit of confusion. Mm. But let's just rewind back to Boris Johnson's speech to the nation on the twenty third of March. He said, "We must go at home." and the police would have powers to mm. enforce it you know nobody was under any illusion that parties were okay you know my son didn't have a 16th birthday party it was just those of us in the house who were there. People's funerals were mm. miserly and rubbish affairs. Fathers didn't attend births. Christmas was cancelled that year. I don't think there was really any confusion. They knew that they were bending the rules. The real issue is why were they bending the rules? And they were bending the rules because they didn't feel like they were in mortal because danger. Because the rules didn't matter. They didn't feel like their lives were at risk. In fact, you might you might as well say they'd done a reasonable job of assessing the risk yeah. for themselves. And I think that's that's one of the important points to remember. Now... So naturally people are angry because it's, it's very hypocritical to see people partying when the rest of us had cancelled Christmases. But I don't think we should really give in, actually, to that desire for retribution. You know, we're still talking about party gate and not lockdown. That's one thing. But the other thing is, do you know how many fines there have been? How many COVID fines for socialising and travel? 120,000. And they
3: haven't been rescinded, right?
6: No, they have not. And do you know what I would rather see? I would rather see a pardon for Mm. every fine so far. Because people were just doing normal things. You know, most of those fines were for things like socialising. Okay. Yeah. So... People were fined for sitting on benches or
3: well, we can all remember having a was, cup of
6: tea with a yeah. the neighbour. There was a homeless person who was fined for not being do you remember, at home. Do you
3: remember the footage of the, the, the student sort of home in Newcastle with the police knocking on the door asking yeah. for everyone to come outside because they wanted to know how many people were in there? Mm. So you're kind of going, well, what difference does it make? Seven, eight, nine? What's the problem? You know, But they were very, very hard line on it.
6: Two students were fined £10,000 each for uh. organising a snowball fight in January 2021 in Leeds. Now, if you're angry about people getting tipsy at a party, why aren't you angry mm. that students had life destroying fines yeah. for throwing a snowball? Right. So, actually, I would, it's not like I don't want to see the people at the party get their just desserts, of course, but I would rather that we turn our attention to 120,000 people that suffered over over rules that just weren't proportionate Mm. and they weren't humane and you know what it shows it shows the rules are are too hard to follow because they're not humane
3: Right, they're not sensible is my problem Mm. it's not really whether they're humane they just don't make any sense does getting their just desserts include them losing their jobs though or them not going to get whatever it is the honour that they because a couple of them are on Boris Johnson's honours list it would seem
6: well, I don't. I, I mean, I'm afraid you're talking to the ultimate cynic today. I'm not really sure what the honours list means anymore. Mm. I think it's um, it, it should be something that we're all proud of and think means something. Well, I don't think it but means quite, much. But quite often it doesn't mean much anymore. I've got mm. three words for you. So, Jimmy Savile, you know, David Cameron's hairdresser was given an honour.
3: Sir Tony Blair.
6: Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst one out of the lot. No, that's unfair. the worst. No, no, the worst um, one
3: is Lord Ross Kempsell, who used to work here. Who's, who's about, you know, I think 27, 28, something like that. He's but now against the House of Lords. In
6: all seriousness, no, I don't think people should lose their jobs unless that is commensurate with the position they were in at the time. I mean, I really do think that we need a pardon for everybody that had a fine. Mm. You know, there are still cases all, in the courts I mean, the right reason I now. ask
3: you that question is because they're all quite high up inside various bits of the Tory party, you know, campaigning for one person or another, and they've clearly sort of been with the, with the furniture, if, if you can mm. be such a thing, in a political party.
6: But we're going down the wrong tracks, that's not the point. Mm. The point is that we need to get our heads around the fact that they knew the risk was low enough that it was okay to be at a party. Therefore, cancelling Christmas for the nation yeah. was the wrong thing to do. While having a party. This is what needs to come out at the inquiry and in the media. Stop banging on about publishing, punishing people pardon the people that were given unfair fines and be honest about the risk we knew what the risks of covid were Mm. before we locked down you know there's a world health organization report in mid-february 2020 that acknowledged the risk was highly stratified we should have been honest about the risks prepared people accordingly you know in relation to their own demographic and clinical risk and we should never have locked down
3: no, I think that's probably something that an awful lot of people will now agree with, even though they wouldn't have agreed with you if you'd said it in February 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about cats. Meow. Yeah, yes. I was going to let you do that. I didn't want to meow at I you. I mean, it's been this, done before. this
6: video that I think... Well, it's an audio, isn't it? I think everybody must have listened to it now. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to it, please, please, please mm. go on social media it's and on our,
3: It's on our Talk TV Twitter if you wish to Great.
6: find Great. Of course it is. Because... What we hear is a teacher severely reprimanding 13-year-old girls Mm. for saying that if you identify as a cat, you're mentally unwell, Mm -hmm. and that there are two genders. I mean, they mean sexes, but we know what they mean. They're 13. The teacher goes on to basically insult them in various ways. She says they're homophobic. She says they're despicable. It concludes with her saying she's going to report them to Miss Willis, Mm. who I guess is the head, and that they need an... Miss educational Willis
3: gender-specific. Miss
6: Willis, is that? Ms. Willis. Uh, Mux Willis. Uh, she says Miss Willis. Yeah. Uh, and that they need to be referred Ironic. for an educational conversation, which does sound awfully like a re-education. That camp, does or sound a bit like uh,
3: Maoist, doesn't
6: it? But, you know, at one point she says, there is three biological sexes, thereby making three terrible mistakes, mm. one grammatical, there are... Mm. uh There are two biological sexes, so her second mistake is biological, and the third is pedagogical. Mm. She's basically shutting them down. She's saying that they can't question, that she's going to give them an opinion. She doesn't back it up with any rational framework or with any science. She just tells them what they have to believe, and if they don't believe it, they've either got to shut up or go Mm. for re-education. And I think that's what's been so disturbing for people hearing it. It's a little totalitarian of a teacher, isn't it? Very. And And I suspect it's not that unusual either. It's not. I think I've told you before mm. on oh no, air, it happened to one of my son's friends. He was taken out of his class yeah. um, and told he couldn't question that there were more, two, more than two genders or that there'd be no place in the school for mm. him. And I've heard other stories like this we had a just on yesterday. the parental grapevine. We had a
3: caller yesterday who had exactly that explanation or that experience rather. And his son uh, was told he was going to be put in detention. Um, but a week later, they still haven't heard anything. Basically for, for saying exactly that.
6: I think that, you know, we, we have to... There's, there's a few things we have to do in response to this. First of all, we ask for question, who's teaching the teachers? Mm. There have been other stories in the media about how sex ed has frankly gone a little too far. Yeah. You know, I've seen some leaked materials from sex education lessons, and if I brought them in, you wouldn't be able to show them on air. Right. You would not be able to show the graphic images and the rather graphic descriptions... That primary school children are yeah. seeing in the classroom, Which can't be right, you can't wouldn't it? be safe to air it. No. So we need to know who's teaching the teachers because if this teacher thinks it's okay to identify as any gender and okay to identify as a cat, we have to question what kind of activist groups are feeding her this sort of mm. nonsense. The second thing is parents need to see what these materials are. You know, I think there are some schools who want to consult with parents and develop shared values, and that's great. But mm. clearly, there are schools who don't want to share these materials, which is why all these little stories are popping out now through the woodwork. And that's not right. Parents have a right to know what well, their children are being taught. And, of taught. course, they're
3: hiding these teachers behind a, what I would call a mythical shield where they say, mm. oh, but we have to do this in case you know children have got abusive parents or parents who are bigots or parents who are just not very nice or parents who, parents who don't have like a cats." good relationship with them and all this kind of thing. Yeah, maybe they're, they're dog people, not cat people. It's not for people. them. It's not for the teachers to judge the parents, is it?
6: of course not and the thing is we're not talking about teaching well goodness I was under the um, old fashioned delusion when my children went to primary school they were learning about the three R's Mm. you know reading, writing and arithmetic turns out they're learning about all kinds of exotic sex practices and um, multiple genders which is part of an unproven ideology Mm. but no, you do have a right to know that, because we're not talking about science, we're not talking about maths, we're not even talking about the way religion and faiths are taught, which is I mean, the beliefs that people Do they even teach basic hold. biology
3: anymore, or is that all up the swanee as well?
6: No, they do. And, and in fact, you see, you can't withdraw your children from the sex education that happens bio- in biology, because I believe that that's still science-based. Mm. But what's going on in these um, H sre lessons mm. is very ideological yeah. and parents need to know that because the state and the school shouldn't be putting themselves between the parent and the child the parent knows what's best mm. and their child's stage of development and they know what is best in terms of their family environment their culture and their religion the other thing to remember about this teacher is she was absolutely adamant that there are three sexes bizarre and multiple genders. She claimed,
3: did she not, that intersex was one?
6: Intersex is not a sex. She's woefully misinformed. Mm. But the thing is, you know, there are religions who believe there are two sexes. It's already been proven in the courts. It's a philosophical point of view you can hold. These are protected characteristics. You are entitled to believe that there are two sexes, Mm. which is also something we've known since the dawn of time. Now, she was a teacher at a C of E school, so she really shouldn't be getting that wrong. So, parents need to know what's being taught in schools when it comes to sex ed the other thing is i think it's time for the adults to get back in the room yeah. those 13 year old girls did a really good job of defending they themselves. actually were very
3: logical i was actually encouraged when i listened to yeah. it right I, f- I thought i finished it and i thought this is great this shows that children are actually sensible and possibly more sensible than the teachers that we currently have because yeah. the, the logic they were using was entirely clear yeah. um their reasoning was brilliant you know, and their justification was also good. And when they were accused of being homophobic, they answered that as well and said, No, not at all. This has got nothing to do with gay people or lesbian people. We've got no problem with that. Those were their words. They had no problem mm. with that. Perfectly tolerant, perfectly sensible, perfectly willing to learn about other things, but equally willing to say that isn't right. You have and to I applaud think it's yeah. great news for, for the next generation. Isn't
6: it? It certainly is. And and I I found that really encouraging that despite the um, terrible misinformation, somewhat totalitarian teaching and insults that were held held at them, they held their own. But it really shouldn't fall to children to have to hold the line for basic truths. It's like the story of um, the emperor's new clothes. The courtiers, the townspeople all pretended the emperor was clothed in magnificent robes when in fact he was naked. It took the innocence of a child to say he's naked. Yeah. Well, it shouldn't just fall on children to stand up for truth, which is why, you know, here we are doing it now. You, you've got to stand up for the children who are just trying to defend truth. Mm. So we hear a lot about be kind, you know, the be kind brigade. Mm. So there's there's something yeah, to be said for being... Yeah, they're abusing
3: me on Twitter, the be kind brigade. Well, they do do that. Funny enough.
6: But kindness isn't the only virtue. You know, we're at a time where we don't talk much about inner virtues. We talk a lot about identity, how you're presenting mm. on the outside. But those girls demonstrated honesty and courage... And that's really important. So I think the adults need to get back in the room Mm. as well. That's the other thing. And finally, it's okay to ask questions. What's happened to teaching where you were told to basically shut up or Mm. go for re-education if you challenge your teacher?
3: It's ridiculous. Also, you know, we are in a world now where there are lots of different ideas and it's a great opportunity to to look at those ideas rather than to say these are the only ideas you can have. Mm. You can't have any other ideas. That would be absolutely utterly ridiculous, wouldn't it?
6: Well, of course, how are you going to learn otherwise? Mm. it's It's the model for scientific inquiry, for philosophical inquiry. Um, she was shutting them down because she couldn't really handle. yeah the questions right. but it's you know this is so pervasive now we've seen it with Wix mm. recently in the news yeah that's made me feel a bit funny about Wix actually because yes. I've, I've got a lot in Wix over yeah. the years and now i feel like i'm gonna to have to tiptoe in really really sort of gingerly well you know i don't believe that male rapists should be in women's prisons and i and i believe that women does should that have their own, their own playing you, field for sport does, does that mean am i allowed to come any, in and buy a yeah, tap buy i don't brass know brass tacks perhaps
3: <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah. not but it's ludicrous perhaps a stupid... i have to walk
6: over them on the way yeah. in
3: and out what a stupid thing to say you know, why on earth would any businessman of any hue, of any company, have a mm. go at the people who are coming in to buy the products? Why would you?
6: I don't know. I mean, I, they mu- it's because they feel they're on such a moral high ground. It's like the teacher with the pupil. She's so sure yeah. that her position is right, that it doesn't matter what she says to other people. I think it's going to backfire really badly for Wix. Mm. I've got like a new name did.
3: for Wix, It rhymes with Wix, but it doesn't start with W. Huh?
6: Well, oh, you've got me speechless for once. Mr. There you Wham. are.
3: Now, listen, I've just got to break this news again. Andrew Tate has been charged with rape, human trafficking, and forming organised crime groups to ex- sexually exploit women. This is in Romania. Romanian prosecutors have sent the controversial influencer and his brother, Tristan, plus two other suspects to trial uh, on these charges. So we'll bring you more uh, on that as we come. Let's talk about um, self-censoring. Mm. Because you mentioned that this week as well, didn't you?
6: Yeah, I wrote an article for Spite mm. about the rise of the self-censoring liberal. Mm. So Elizabeth Gilbert, who is the author of Eat, Pray, Love, did a an emotional Mayor culpa style video on all her social media to say that her newly announced book, The Snow Forest, was going to be withdrawn mm. because it's set in Russia. And she says that she had an outpouring of negative emotion from ukrainians who were expressing their their hurt and Mm. their anger that she'd set a book in russia and so she's withdrawn it indefinitely i mean what actually happened was hundreds of people left negative reviews on goodreads and any author knows goodreads is important you want good reviews not Mm. bad reviews so while she's saying that she is trying to be sensitive to ukrainians i couldn't help feeling that she might instead be pandering to the sensibilities of western liberals and her own bottom line because it doesn't make any sense to say to support ukrainians who are fighting for their freedom i'm going to cancel my own freedom to publish a book you know and also if you if we take this all the way through to its illogical end are we not allowed books set yeah. in Russia at all? Yeah, why not? What well, about Dostoevsky right. or, or Chekhov?
3: Solzhenitsyn.
6: Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago. Yeah. Is is that still allowed? Right. You know, it doesn't make any sense mm. at all. And somebody who was also criticised for a book about Russia, uh, George Orwell. Yeah his book Animal Farm was roundly criticised for being critical of Stalin and mm. Russia because they were our, our allies at the time. He wrote an alternative preface to that book in which he said that we really need to be aware of this renegade liberal.
8: Mm.
6: While totalitarian regimes will ban books, we don't need the regime to do it. We don't even need pressure groups to do it. Liberals in our countries now are banning their own books. Mm. It makes no sense if you believe in freedom and books themselves should be, should be the bastion of liberty it's where ideas should live, not, not be killed off. Mm. He said, liberals fear liberty, intellectuals do the dirt on the intellect. And, you know, we're at a stage now where limp-wristed authors won't write books and weak-need publishers won't right. publish them. And I think Elizabeth Gilbert needs to grow a backbone.
3: Yes, because the next thing will be, not only can you not write a book based in Russia, you can't write a book that mentions several things that people don't like the sound of.
6: Well, I mean look about the sen- look at the sensitivity readers. We were mm. talking about Roald Dahl a couple of months yeah. ago. All mentions of fat kids were removed from his books which, you know, hasn't resulted in the reduced body mass index of a single child. Um there are warnings in the front mm. of Nancy Mitford's uh, new edition um in, in um, PG Woodhouse. Yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber was saying in the news this week that he wanted to set a musical in another country and he was told he can't set a musical yeah. in another country because it's cultural appropriation. He, I was
3: amazed that he would have gone along with that because if I'd been him, I would have just come well, while I'm doing it anyway.
6: Yeah, we need to reverse the trend yeah. of this this long, slow march of mm. the sensitivity readers mm. because literature shouldn't be seen as something dangerous but um, a place to explore ideas. Lionel Shriver warned of this a few years ago, actually. Mm. She... She said that if we give in to this idea of cultural appropriation and sensitivity reading, that fiction would become homogenous, timid and dreary. And I think we're there. Yeah. I think we're there. You know, people aren't even brave enough to put the book out in the first place That's before they get the criticism. Mm.
3: I know. Bonkers. Mad. Great to see you, Laura. Thank you very much indeed. Laura Dodsworth will be back next week, of course. Uh, Many matters arising from that. Uh, We shall talk about all of them as well coming up. Uh, We've got many more things to do. Coming up in the next hour, uh, James Sunderland, MP, is going to be here. We're going to speak to a retired submarine captain, Ryan Ramsey, about that terrible situation in the North Atlantic. And Russell Quirk will tell us why you're going to be paying about seven grand more for your mortgage this year, thanks to the Bank of England. This is Talk TV.
2: On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV
3: and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, where it is now actually not the morning anymore. It's the afternoon. It's six minutes past midday. It's been such a busy morning. We've had all manner of stories breaking while we've been on the air. Uh, We'll bring them all to you, of course, as they continue to happen. George Osborne giving evidence to the COVID inquiry. Andrew Tate uh, having just been charged with rape, human trafficking and forming an organised crime group to sexually exploit women. Uh, We've got a Briton lost on a submarine in the the North Atlantic, Uh, a man by the name of Hamish Harding, a British billionaire, uh, along with five, four other people uh, who are missing currently uh, somewhere in the North Atlantic. Allegedly near uh, the Titanic and the wreck of the Titanic, which is around about um, 3,000 meters below the surface uh, of the sea itself. So uh, we're going to be speaking in a moment to Ryan Ramsey, retired submarine captain. We'll also be talking in this hour to Dr. Carol Sikora about NHS delays causing 100,000 cancer patients to actually deteriorate very, very sadly. Uh, and also we'll be talking as well uh, to Russell Quirk. Uh, a property expert about what's going on in the housing market because we're already being told um, that mortgages could be rising by as much as six to eight thousand pounds a year for people uh, who have got fixed rate mortgages now, which are going to have to be um, redeployed. Also, very possibly, Michael Gover said a 25 year fixed rate mortgages could help to solve Britain's borrowing crisis. So would you want to be locked in for 25 years? Also, of course, we're talking as well about the cost of living crisis, about why people just can't afford to do the things that they want to do. But should the government actually be expected to bail them out? That is an awfully big question that we've got for everybody as well. 0344 is the number. Let's talk to retired submarine captain Ryan Ramsey. Uh, Ryan, a very good afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us.
7: Good afternoon. Thanks
3: for having me on. Um, Very, very unusual, this story, isn't it? I mean, the Titanic seems to attract an awful lot of, um, you know, curiosity seekers, I suppose, if you want. James Cameron, um, the director of the movie, uh, sent a submarine down, I think, an unmanned one some years ago. And there was another project, I think, on the go around about the same time. Um, Looking at this vessel on on the surface of the water before it went in, it doesn't look particularly... um, you know, incredibly strong and, in, and incredibly sort of robust, does it? Is that my unseaworthiness coming through? Or what, 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 what can you tell us about it?
7: No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think there'll be a lot of questions as to um, the actual capability and whether it was, it was capable of achieving achieving that particular descent. Um, So it's an independently made uh, vessel carbon fibre, I believe, by design.
8: Um,
7: And um, yeah, I mean, it's a hugely risky uh, activity to, to travel down that
3: deep. I mean, the pressure alone, once you get down to those kinds of depths in the sea, would suggest that you need something which is very strong on the outside.
7: Yes, I agree totally. So you're talking about 400 bar of pressure at 3000 metres, which is which is absolutely considerable. Mm. Um, So and I I can see that It's it's obviously done operations in the past, but we we don't know how deep it's gone or how many it's done of those. Um, But um, hopefully they'll have managed that risk as they as they plan this mission. And it seems to have gone
3: missing um, for no apparent reason. There's no there's no indication of, of why it's no longer trackable but i was i was hearing this morning another report suggesting it doesn't have a distress signal is that even legal
7: uh well so there's there's the question about legality uh, out in the middle of the ocean is is a is a very lengthy uh, topic to go into <laughs> but be absolutely right whether it has Whether it has um, SOLAS, which is safety of life at sea, um, met the standards required of that, I don't know. Hmm. Um, The the communications, I mean, if you piece it all together as best we can, it's it's gone down. It's probably suffered some form of um, defect or problem to deal with, and they can't recover from that. Um, so and, and like you say, there's no emergency buoy to uh, to release to in order to let people know that they're actually in trouble
3: right. and and I mean as far as the actual physics of it coming back up to the surface, I'm told that they could sort of fire their tanks as it were to, to float back up. but does that depend on whether they've got power?
7: It does indeed. So everything revolves around having power unless they've got some form of mechanical release for those for those particular things. I think it's a bit more um, it's it's a bit more complex than that so Mm. just the tanks alone won't be enough to enable its surface right
3: and I mean the Titanic as I say has has been a sort of curiosity um, hasn't it for for ever since it ever since the event itself ever since it set sail uh, on that fateful day uh, back in 1912 I mean what is it about the Titanic do you think that that fascinates people so much
7: Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And I think um, it's romantic. Um, It's a very, very well-known story of tragedy. And and people do become fascinated with it. Um, The the fact that adventurers try all kinds of things. So the ones that go to space with um, Elon Musk or with um, Jeff Bezos, they're Mm. exploring the boundaries of what what humans do. And I think this is another example of that, which in this case has tragically Mm. gone wrong.
3: Yeah, I mean, although it's a slightly more kind of I suppose self-indulgent one this isn't it because this is a bit of kind of very expensive tourism that if you can afford quarter of a million quid to go into a very small box to go down and have a look at the Titanic I mean I'm not sure I mean you'd have to have an awful lot of money to want to spend that kind of money doing something like that but I'm not sure what they would have seen if they would have managed to make it down to the ocean floor.
7: Well, I, I think that it's fitted with um, searchlights, so they would have seen some of it, but you'd never be able to conceptualise the the, um, the whole Titanic. You'd just see pieces of it. Mm. I mean, you'd, you'd need huge amounts of light in order to be able to to show the whole thing. So, um, yes.
3: And so is the community, the submarine community, if there is such a thing, um, generally looking upon this as, as a bit of a, a fool's errand, as tragic as it may be, that it's not something you would want a lot of people to encourage, be encouraged to do?
7: Yeah, so I, th- I think there's two ways of looking at this. So the submarine community um, around the world, whenever there's a rescue for for submariners and submarines, they pull together and, and use uh, rescue systems that uh, are universal ac- across the um, across the world. Mm. Uh, however, in this particular case, like you say, it's, it's consumer um, or, or tourism um and it's a submersible and the submarine service can't really help in those those particular areas there's there's not a lot we can do to Mm. to to support them in this particular case no rather than describing as a fool's errand i think a a a mission that's gone wrong a um tourism that's gone wrong and and um yeah my, my thoughts are with the families
3: of course but I mean, one of the things I find fascinating, and I remember speaking to people who had been, there's been a couple of missions like this down into the Mariana Trench where there's so much about the sea that we don't know, you know, in a way that the, the space exploration programs have actually discovered probably more about what's around the planet than what's actually under the surface of the sea in it.
7: That, that's absolutely correct. So so the, the um, I, I, re- I wrote about this uh, a while back, that the, the sea is less explored than space. Yeah. And yet it holds vast amounts of um, potential for, 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 for the human race. Mm. Um, and yet we don't we don't invest enough time um, researching it and making sure that we, we make the most of it. And, and the sea can be a really horrendous place to operate. You, you have to really, really respect the sea as a mariner. It controls you. You don't control it. You just get to operate in its environment.
3: Yeah. Oh, absolutely terrifying. I mean, I remember my parents once came to see me when I lived in New York. They came to see me on a QE2, um, and they had a storm on the way, and they were like – they said never been more frightened in, in our lives. You know, sort of 50-foot waves, this huge ship just going up and down like this, crashing down, and I've done a bit of sailing in my time, just just relatively sort of, you know, recreational sailing. But, you know, the sea can just turn like like on a yes. 6 It suddenly goes from, you know, sunbathing on the deck to, to sort of holding on for dear life. Because a squall come over and a tiny little cloud has caused you to to almost hit the rocks. It's it's terrifying.
7: It, it really is. And, and operating under the sea, uh, as I've done for, for for a great proportion of my life, um, is the same. There that things change instantaneously. The characteristics of the ocean that you're travelling through or operating within can change yeah. really really quickly. And so so full respect has to be had for the sea and you have to operate in it safely.
3: Yeah, so could there have been something undersea, like an undersea current that changed that could have had an influence on what happened here?
7: Um, Potentially, but I think at that depth, you don't see too much current activity. I I suspect that it's been a mechanical or electrical failure of some kind that has led to complete loss of uh, electrics or a potential break in the pressure hull itself, which would have resulted in an explosion. So...
3: Right, and I mean, as much as it doesn't sound as though there's much that we can look forward to here, is there is there any kind of hope, hopeful sign that, that you would look forward to to see that they're still actually, you know, alive?
7: So I think I think the only thing would be some form of communications, and we haven't had that. And, mm. and the reality is, everybody's talking about the oxygen's reducing, or they've only got forty eight hours yeah. left. The reality is, the carbon dioxide is the uh, thing that will that 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 ends this totally because they can't get rid of the carbon dioxide as quickly as 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 they might need to and and that takes takes human life
3: and if they have managed to reach the surface but nobody can find them on the surface (laughs) what could they do then i mean would that would, would they be at least safe if they were on the surface
7: they, they, they definitely would be safer. So if they if they're on the surface and the weather conditions permit, they can open the hatch even for a short amount of time, which changes the air within the um, yeah. within, within the submersible itself, and that enables survival for a bit longer. Um, but then you're still into the potential of you know you're trying to spot a needle in a haystack mm. to try and find this thing. Yeah. Um, and um yeah, if if they're on the surface, they will be found eventually. But um, in my heart of hearts, I don't think that's the
3: case. Yeah, well, we'll keep our fingers crossed as best we can do. Ryan, appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. Ryan Ramsey, retired submarine captain there, with a fascinating look into what is in the sea, what is at the depths of the sea, what is at the bottom of the sea. Nobody really knows. It's an extraordinary world, the undersea world in this country and in this world, because we just don't know what's there. Let's have a quick word with Trevor, who's up at Edinburgh. Hi, Trevor.
9: Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm just thinking about... Oh, not bad, I've not smoked tea for a long time. Long actually, time for, uh, long time radio but you're in Edinburgh. But uh, I'm still still I'm still protesting. Glad sure to see you're still know, it's
3: good. glad to see you're still there. Are you still on the housing uh, ticket?
9: Oh well I've no I've lived in private housing for a long, long time now. Mm. I gave up on the council giving me a house. I'm <laughs> not even going to that. I just I wanted to say to you something about these poor people that are underwater. Yes. I watched a film where uh, I don't know how feasible it was, Mike, but I watched a film where a car goes underwater and goes right to the bottom of the river. And the guy inside the car comes out and he opens one of the tyres and gets yeah. some air out of the tyre, you know, breathes, oh, yeah. And then he gets these two balloons out of the car boot, he's got these balloons, and he fills them up with the air out of the tyres, he manages to fill them up, ties them onto the car and it pulls the car right up to the surface and the car then gets rescued. Now I'm not saying this could work for that mm. submarine, that that. that thing under the water but if they could send in one of these boys you know these things that go right under the water with maybe one or two men in it yeah. like a round ball it's on a chain it's attached to a ship if they get a ship over that location get right over it maybe there's something like a hook or a chain they could attach to the ball to the sea, and maybe maybe I don't know if this is feasible either maybe they could hook it some way onto that sub if it's mm-hmm. lying on the bottom of the water unable to move yeah. and then haul the thing up like pulling a fish out of the water that might work. I mean, the thing is, Mike, why I'm saying this is in this desperate situation, surely it's worth trying anything it is. That Could possibly save these people's lives. And if we are, you or I were one of them, God forbid, mm. you know, it must be terrifying for the people down there wondering how the hell, because they can't even open the hatch and swim out 4,000 metres under the water. That's a hell of a distance, isn't he? and apart from anything else, you probably get the bends coming up. Absolutely. So quickly. But no, this is
3: the problem. I think test. it's so far down that they can't get anything long enough down there. That's the other problem that they haven't got anything that is really that that lengthy that they could even reach it with, and, and they don't even know if it's there anyway. So at the moment, the biggest final, problem is they don't point. know where it is.
9: Final point, mate. Yeah. Final point, mate. In future, if anybody else goes to see that Titanic ship in one of these types of boats. These boats should be made in such a way that they have a line attached to them so that something's on the surface with a line attached to mm. the boat. If it gets any difficulty, the ship above can haul it in using a wire like you would haul in a fish. Yeah. So that in future, nobody else can be put at that risk. I mean, that's very unfortunate It's always with hindsight people learn, my friend.
3: It is, absolutely right. You've got to learn from hindsight. Trevor, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, We've got more coming up. We've got Carol Sikora very shortly. James Sunderland MP is with us as well, plus Russell Quirk uh, on the mortgage nightmare for people. Uh, This is Talk TV.
2: The Independent Republic of
3: Mike Graham on
2: Talk Radio.
3: Let's talk to James Sunderland MP uh, on uh, what can only be um, a very busy week uh, if you're a Conservative MP. James, a very good afternoon to you.
1: Hi, Mike. And a very busy week it is as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. A um, couple of questions for you. I understand you voted along with the committee yesterday to um, uh, to pass the report uh, into the annals of history, um, obviously then believing that, that Boris Johnson did um, deliberately mislead Parliament. Um, he's now calling for a truce with Rishi Sunak, apparently, um, after what happened yesterday. I mean, it's not a very, um, what you might call, great day for the Tories, is it?
1: Well, I'm not sure what you mean by a truce. Um, Clearly, I'm not uh, exposed to that particular um, story. Well, it's not Um, what I mean.
3: It's what he means by a truce. I don't know what he means by a truce either. But he's basically saying he doesn't want to have a war with Rishi Sunak, which he did want to have a few days
1: ago. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I wouldn't have used the word truce. I mean, there's no need for a truce because ultimately we had a vote last night. It was a free vote. It was a vote of conscience. Uh, It wasn't whipped, quite rightly so. and, um, And MPs voted individually on what they felt.
3: Yes, and not very many voted against the ruling of the committee, suggesting that Boris Johnson doesn't have an awful lot of support in the parliamentary party.
1: Well, I think there's two points to note there. Firstly, he did make it clear um, over the weekend that he didn't want people to vote against the report. Um, And, of course, only seven did, um, which would indicate that the support isn't there. But, um, but, 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 of course... The figures are pretty overwhelming. I mean, 350 plus voted in support of the privilege motion and uh, seven against. So I think it was a case of, um, you know, a slam dunk. Sure.
3: And did you think that at the time when Boris said the things that he is now said to have misled the Commons about, that he knew he was misleading the Commons?
1: Well, that's what the uh, conclusion was for the Privilege Committee. I mean, I, I have no option but to accept that finding. It was a select committee, it was formed in good faith, they've had lots of legal advice, they've pored over this for months and months and months. And it's quite unprecedented, A, for a report to be had on a select committee report. And it's also quite unprecedented in my view for MPs to vote against it. So I think ultimately I felt obliged last night to vote in support of that report because I'm a respecter of parliamentary authorities and a man of integrity. And I think that we have to see the writing on the wall and accept the findings of that committee.
3: But surely if you're a man of integrity and the Tory party is a party of integrity, as Rishi Sunak says that it is, if your former prime minister and your former leader has been found guilty of deliberately misleading the Commons, leading to him being um, banned from it for 90 days and leading for him to be uh, having his pass rescinded, is
1: there not grounds
3: then to suspend him or, or sack him from the party?
1: Well, I mean, I think there are those that would argue that the sanction yesterday was too heavy. I mean, certainly when I first saw it, uh, I thought, wow, 90 days and the loss of his pass is pretty significant. Um, And and actually, uh, I I was minded originally to to, to abstain, but uh, it's clear the mood has changed across Parliament. For those that were at the debate last night, it was absolutely clear cut. Um, The vast majority, if not all of those that were there last night, voted in support of the motion. Um, and, And in many ways, it is time to move on.
3: And Rishi Sunak decided not to be there for the vote. Um, There are some who say he could have come and sort of buried Boris Johnson once and for all if he had voted, as you did, uh, in favour of the committee report. But he chose not to do that. Was that a mistake?
1: Well, I think the important point, Mike, I didn't vote to bury Boris Johnson. Uh, It's not an anti-Boris vote. It's a pro-democracy and a pro-parliamentary authority vote. And that's why I voted the way I did last night. It was the right thing to do. In terms of the prime minister, um, he was clearly otherwise engaged. But it was a one-line whip yesterday. MPs weren't compelled to be there. But to address your point specifically, um, I think Richard certainly did, did the right thing. Um, the last time we had a whipped vote on a matter of conscience was the Owen Paterson vote, and it caused an absolute riot. So entirely right yesterday for it not to be a whipped vote. It was an individual matter as far as how we voted as individuals, and, and I think the right outcome was achieved. Mm.
3: Yeah, I mean, you might call the Owen Paterson um, vote at the beginning of the end for Boris Johnson, right?
1: Well, look, I mean, if I'm being very candid with you and I try to be candid, um, you know, I was Lord de Boris right until the end. Charismatic individual, very colourful character. I love working for him. But there were a number of errors of judgment which coloured his time at number 10. And uh, I, I think ultimately, um, you know, when you look at the totality of the Barnard Castle issue, when you look at Dominic Cummings, Owen Paterson, Chris Pincher, Partygate, um, you know, it's left... MPs like me in a very difficult situation. And if you believe in parliamentary authority, if you believe in integrity, then I think the vote last night was, was the right thing for many of my colleagues to do.
3: A lot of our listeners and viewers have said to us over the course of the last few days, even before Monday came around at the weekend, that... You know, surely enough is enough. There are many many more important issues to talk about. Net zero uh, in the Sun poll this morning showing that people uh, are not happy about the way that MPs treat them. They don't think MPs understand their cost of living concerns. They don't think they understand uh, the net fact that they don't want net zero, they don't want to pay for net zero. Um, you know, they, they've had enough, basically, of, of this green crusade. Um, cost of living crises, mortgage payments going up. There's surely a lot more important things to talk about.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And actually, uh, going back to the report last night, I mean, that has been a huge distraction for all of my colleagues. And uh, my inbox has been full for three and a half years on matters pertaining to Boris Johnson um, and, and the other unfortunate events over the course of the pandemic. I think that what we have to be doing now as a government is, is focusing on the issues that really matter. And that's what we're doing. So cost of living, getting inflation down, supporting households, souls, um, illegal migration. I mean, that's where I'm focused right now as an MP. And that's firmly on supporting my constituents in Bracknell. And at least now, having drawn a line underneath the events uh, last night, we can now move on. I mean,
3: I saw a bit of a chink of light in the old uh, migrant story this morning. I read a story about an Egyptian fisherman who's been sent to prison uh, in the last couple of days by a judge who basically said uh, that he wants to send a strong message to migrants crossing the English Channel that they will face sanctions if they come here illegally. Uh, This man by the name of Hamouda Chitui said that if he'd known he was going to be locked up, he wouldn't have come. He might have finally found the solution.
1: Look, I mean, this is a very sensitive issue, but I'm clear on my views on this. Uh, UK has been a soft touch uh, for uh, migrants for too long. And um, if you look at where we are now post Brexit, the unique situation the UK is in is that we've actually got the ability now post Brexit to uh, pass laws through the chamber that make us sovereign again. We're doing that. And actually, we are now going to be in a position to sort this issue out. Um, we, we, we need migrants. We've got um, you know, a healthy requirement for people to come and work in the UK. We're a hospitable nation, very proud record of uh, offering safe haven to people from all over the world. But what we can't afford to be is a soft touch for those seeking to come here illegally. And that's exactly why the illegal migration bill is the right thing to do.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Is there a way to Boris Johnson becomes leader of the Conservative Party again?
1: Well, I mean, I don't think so personally. Um, I, I think Boris is a fantastic, colourful character, but uh, his copybook may well have been blotted um, by, by the events over Partygate and, and other issues that I referred to. We've got a great Prime Minister now, Rishi Sunak, is, uh, is doing a great job. He's understated, he's calm, he's decent, he's cautious, he's very clever. He's got all the big calls right, as you'd expect. And actually, I'm very confident now the future of our party. The polls will close. The offer is excellent. I've no doubt at all that next year for the general election, it'll be a really good battle.
3: Okay. And what about these two people who have been named as uh, the the recipients of honours from the Boris Johnson honours list, who are part of this party that went on, uh, the Jingle and Mingle party, which has now become rather more famous? I mean, I'm not generally in favour of retrospective punishment, but it seems a bit unfair that these two have got honours that they can uh, pick up and move on with.
1: Well I think it's interesting that the mirror ran that story over this weekend, you know, three years on from the incident or thereabouts and of course we came before the Privileges Committee vote. So it wasn't a coincidence the story was run. But I think like most of us rational people, it leaves a bit of a nasty taste in the throat. Hmm. I think the honours and awards should be given to people that thoroughly deserve them. I spent a long time presiding over honours and award systems when I was in the MOD, for example. Uh, and ultimately, I think people have a right to feel slightly aggrieved by it. But, uh, but, but by the same token, the former Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, and Liz Truss are entirely in their gift through parliamentary protocol to put that list in. That's a gift, that's a gift that sits with them, and I think we need to support that. But, but hopefully, we all use our judgment in getting it right. James, thank you very
3: much indeed. Good to talk to you. James Sunderland, Conservative MP, former military officer there, uh, giving us his reasons why uh, he thinks that Boris Johnson's time is basically up, but that he voted not uh, to kill off Boris Johnson, rather uh, to preserve the democracy and the democratic rights of the House of Commons. I still think many of you uh, will say it was a waste of time and a waste of money, and it doesn't really matter now what happens to Boris Johnson. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV.